0: You're listening to another New Hope Chapel New Hope Podcast. Podcast. This message is from our series on Romans, presented by Bill Smith.
1: So last week, Justin wrapped up the first section or first half or first 11 chapters of Romans. And Paul, what we see, is a super analytical, logical kind of guy. He makes all these airtight arguments. But even those super analytical, logical people get caught up in emotion And he gets caught up in his own logic and he ends this with this great uh, piece of praise. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, therefore... Therefore. So let's read together this section we're going to take a look at today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, in my profession, what I do for a living, uh, among other things, is I'm a professional and personal coach, and I, I will always teach my clients this be, do, have model. I may have mentioned it before, how to move forward in life. The be part is who you are, your identity. The do is the action or behavior you would therefore take, and the have is the results or outcomes you will naturally get. Many people do this backwards and never get anywhere in life. They start with the have, for example, once I have money, then I will be able to do what wealthy people do, and I will be a wealthy person it never works like that and The reason I like this model is because when I first saw it, it made sense to me, but then I always like to go check these models against the Bible, and we see this all over the bible this be to have model in fact, even this passage we 're taking a look at today follows the model b a living sacrifice, what you do is renew your mind, and then what you will have is you'll be able to do these kind of things. So we'll come back to this model. So he starts out with his word, therefore. Many years ago, I was told whenever you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you should wonder what it's there for. There's some reason of something that's coming up and Paul has already used this term 12 times up to this point and he does it in other books as well as when he says therefore it's connecting back to the previous or what he's just said and so therefore means that being the case and then he says I urge you or in some translations it says I exhort you to now when I when I first became a christian uh, and I started going to um for lack of a better word real churches that preach from the Bible, because I grew up in a ch- church that, well, I'm not going to say the denomination, but the first initial would be Episcopalian. Um, uh, we didn't do too much in-depth study of the Bible. We were really good at when to stand, sit, and kneel. We had that all down. That was really important stuff. Um, I noticed a lot of these guys would talk about what the word meant in the Greek, and I thought they were just showing off their seminary education and what words meant in the Greek and that I would never do that but guess what's going to happen today? (laughs) I'm going to talk about... Now, I won't be able to pronounce them. I asked Julie to pronounce them for me, but this word, urge, is actually the word beseech, which is the Greek word, however you pronounce that word, which means to call to one's side or one's aid. There's a similar word in Scripture, which is paraclete, which is a word that we use for the Holy Spirit, which means called to one's side or one's aid. So... What I thought our urge you meant was, this is really important. This is something you have to do. You must do this. we got the shoulds and the oughts. All that's coming up. But what he's really saying is, given all that I've just said, I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to coach you. I'm going to help you to experience all this. So what's coming up is not what you must do. Although I was talking with Julie this morning and the commentaries, they all have what you, you ought to do this, you have to do this. I really get irritated when I hear the shoulds and oughts and musts. I just think we have opportunities and privileges. And so he's getting ready to say, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to come alongside you. If you want to experience the joy and contentment and peace that all this in the first 11 chapters talks about, then here's what what you should do. This is what you can do. And then he says, in view of God's mercies. If we take a look at the word mercies, there's another Greek word I can't pronounce. But what it means is the viscera or inward parts. That's what mercies means in the Greek. Literally the seat of emotion. So when taking the view of God's mercies, we're talking about his gut reaction, his gut reaction to things. And that gut reaction, that emotion specifically, is pity. When I saw that, I thought, well, you know, when I use that word pity, I pity somebody. Most of the time we use it in a negative way, right? It's that, that, that poor pitiful person. And if I pity some somebody, I might even give them a couple dollars or something like that. But when God pities us, when he has mercy on us, I looked all these up, his response to what we're doing is, pity means a response of sadness at the ills of others. That's what that means. And therefore doing something. And so what God does, his mercies towards us, There's a few. And by the way, these are only out of Romans. Because Justin said last week that we interpret Romans through. Nobody was paying attention to see what you were saying. (laughs) We interpret Romans through Romans. So I looked only in Romans for the mercies or the responsive pity towards us from God. And the first one is He gives us eternal love. Say, I have eternal love. We can do that a little better. Say, I have eternal love. There we go. Now we're cooking with peanut oil right now, okay? We also have eternal grace. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We have everlasting peace. Say, I have everlasting peace now. There we go. We're getting better. I have saving faith, wisdom, hope, glory and honor and peace. He acts towards us with patience and kindness. He's not angry at us. He's not hating us. He's patient and kind towards us so we would come to repentance back to him. We already have righteousness. Say, I'm already righteous. Already. Now, would you be honest and open with me, by the way, right now if I ask you a question? How many of you, just a quick show of hands, saying those things, that doesn't feel actually true or natural to say? Okay. What I'm going to suggest you do later is what Paul suggests is we need to renew our minds in this area because this is a true or isn't it true? It's true. doesn't feel true, does it? That's okay. We'll let the feelings come later on. We'll talk about that. Eternal life already. Holiness. I'm already holy. Forgiveness. We're already for, forgiven. Reconciled. We already have reconciliation. Justified already. We're sanctified. Get this to catch up to me. We're already free. Say, I'm already free. Already free. Not trying to earn it. You're already free. We have been made His children. We have sonship with God. Those are God's mercies. Those are things later on I'll talk about setting our mind on. I'm not going to brag here, but there was a time early on when I would say those things, and it didn't feel right to me either. But you know what? feels perfectly normal to me now. You know Why? because I've been thinking and saying those things about myself for a long time, because I had a teacher come to me and say, this is what's true about you, this is what you already have. Then he says the word offer, which is this Greek term, which I can't pronounce, which means present. This is a Levitical term, a temple term. You know, some of these big, ever, anybody ever been to these big churches where they have a Christmas pageant and they bring in animals from some local farm? You've seen there the sheep and the cows and it smells great and all that. And, I'm sure that when they asked the farmer if we could use your animals, I'm pretty sure the farmer is thinking he's going to get those back. He's just lending them. But when you went to the temple and you took your lamb to the temple, you weren't getting that back. That's a permanent thing. So this word has a sense of permanency. What he's getting ready to tell us to offer is once and for all. We're not getting it back. And what he's asking us to offer is our body. Now, what we think of as our body and what the Scripture talks about as a body are really sort of two different things. This is this Greek word, soma, which means the complete man. And as we look at all throughout Romans when he talks about the body of the flesh, what he's really talking about here, it means the seat of sin in a person. And so the body is really not the bad guy. The body in Scripture is kind of like a repository or a storage place for things, For our perceptions and our beliefs and our thinking and our emotions, is just storing stuff for us and bringing it up as we need it. And so when we take a look at the body, it does a few things. One of the things it's trying to do is survive. So we have all these systems that are running automatically in the background. We have muscular, skeletal, reproductive, digestive, and so on. And as long as the body is trying to survive, and it will always do that, it will develop strategies for survival. It'll do whatever it needs to do in order to survive, won't it? And if it knows the survival is fairly well taken care of, then it starts to work on this issue of feeling safe. I know where my next meal is coming from, but now I want to lock on my door because I don't feel safe. The body doesn't know God. Think about that for a second. The body doesn't know God, and when you get saved, it still doesn't know about God. Your spirit does. Your mind can, but the body doesn't. It wants to learn. And so it wants to feel safe because it's born into a world where things are not feeling safe. And then as long as it has its safety, then it works on trying to belong. This is my pause where everybody goes, Oh, poor little chicken wants to play with the other chickens but can't get up on the wall. It, It will develop strategies for getting accepted, to be feeling okay around these people that I'm belonging here. And it will develop all kinds of strategies to include how it dresses itself, it's it's no coincidence that we all sort of dress the same, you know. We're kind of wanting to be accepted by other people, and so it'll develop strategies for all of that. And so when the, we take a look at the body, it's the seed of sin. The sin is basically all the strategies that we've developed, that we've learned, and we use to survive, feel safe, and get accepted by other people. That's what sin is. But you might ask, well, why is that so bad? I mean, it seems like a good thing that I would survive that I would want to feel safe. Well, the reason it's called sin is because God has already provided for our survival. We don't need to come up with our own strategies. He's already provided for our safety. We don't need to figure that out. He's already accepted us completely in His Son. We don't need to worry about getting other people to accept us. You see why it's sin? What are we saying about God in this situation? The body is saying, don't need you. I'll take care of all this myself. I'll need you if I get in a jam. And that's when people will start to pray. So what's interesting about this passage is if God's mercies are the seat of his emotion, his gut reaction, and the body is a seat of sin. In this one little phrase, Paul brings together the core of God and the core of man. And Jesus, together, his response of pity to our poor bodies are trying to figure out how to survive and feel safe and get accepted, among other things. The body is something that we're going to offer, and the body does some basic things, and Something was helpful to me years ago as a teacher that that we were uh, listening to. He made the body really kind of he put it in its place. He says, look, the body wants to do a few things. It wants to eat. It wants to sleep. It wants to work. It wants to reproduce. So if the body gets hungry, feed it. If it gets tired, sleep it. Just But don't do any more than that. But, you know, with regard to eating, the body wants to eat. But sometimes if it gets anxious... Well, sometimes don't we sort of eat more than we really need to eat? What's going on there? The body is saying, I'm anxious. Maybe I should have even more just in case I'll run out. Or the body gets sleepy. But anybody here have sometimes a hard time getting to sleep? Yeah, struggle with that? Yeah. Well, we're going to see that these are all can become acts of worship, true and proper worship. So here's a thought. Some of you may have tried this, but most people haven't. Tonight... And I'm giving you technique here, okay? Tonight, when you lay down in bed, make going to sleep an act of worship. And as you lay there in bed, I know some of you may pray before you go to bed, but I'm saying pray right as you're in bed, lay there, and begin to thank God for everything. Just as many things as you can possibly think of. And those who think of the most might get a reward at the carnival, but you think of as many things. I start out with, Father, I am thankful for this pillow and the pillowcase, somebody washed it and cleaned it. it, smells all fresh. I don't know who keeps doing that. The thing is <laughs> I suspect it's the gal next to me. And then thank him for the mattress and the and the blankets and the bed and the home and your friends and your car and all these things. Just start to thank God for all those things. You can thank him for all those mercies. Just to dwell on that. You know, when you do that, the body starts to learn something. The body starts to learn that it's safe. And guess what the body will do when it feels safe? It'll relax. And when you relax, sleep comes to you. You see, you don't go to sleep. You know how I know that? Because if you could, you would. You would go to sleep, but you don't. Sleep comes to you when you're relaxed. It also works. It wants to do work. It wants to move around. But you know, sometimes some of us in that sinful approach, we work harder than perhaps we need to. I'm not one of those people, but I do know people who become workaholics, that if I work more, maybe I'll somehow provide for my safety or my security. Or some of us more like me do the opposite, work as little as I can to get by with as little as I possibly can do. It's called laziness. okay? But that's not worship. Worship is everything about you. When I was a young man and I first, I came to the Lord and then I went right into the Air Force and enlisted. And about 18 months later, I got to go to officer training school and I became a commissioned officer. And I remember thinking this way that when I became an officer, then I could really witness for the Lord because I'd be an officer. That's how stupid I was. I was thinking God only uses the more senior people. He doesn't use the weak and the lowly to witness to people. That's actually who he does use. And you know, when I started to try to do that, guess what happened? Crash and burn all the time. It got to the point of such frustration that I still remember where I was sitting, what did the environment look like? I prayed in desperation, Lord, I am trying to bring you into my job, and I'm constantly failing. Please help me. And this was one of those times, Steve and I were talking about this before the sermon, that I realized later God talked to me, but I didn't know it in the moment because this was a thought and you would think I would have picked up on even the way the thought worked but the thought was this you have it backwards Bill and so I had a little conversation I said have what backwards and the thought was this you don't bring me into your work you bring your work into me and I will do it through you and I will do it for you if you will trust me to do it through you and for you I will do your work and I will glorify my name and I will even glorify you I just need you to trust me to fill out this form and to make this phone call and so I began to do that as consistently as I possibly could and strange things began to happen in fact I even stopped trying to witness Scott I thought I stopped doing that because it wasn't working anyway and guess what happened people started asking me questions and wanting to know what I had in fact Beth and I went to a Christmas party and we we're driving home and she said you know Howard he he's a big fan of yours he said if if anybody would want to talk to him about the, about God, about spiritual things, you're one of those one of three people in the world he would listen to. Now, you know, you got to know my perception of Howard was that he didn't like me. He was an adversary. So I said, you sure Howard is? He's about this tall. He looks like this because maybe there's another Howard. She says, no, this is the guy you've been talking about. He's a big fan of yours. I wasn't even trying to witness to him. I was just letting the Lord do what? My job. He knows the law better than you do one. He will do it through you, for you. If you just let Him, that's offering your body. It wants to reproduce. I'm not going to get too specific about that, but you know what I'm talking about if you're married. You can experience true intimacy. Is that something you pray before you do? I would recommend you do that before and then during, be very thankful. And then afterwards... Pray again. If you're not sure what to pray, just say the Lord's Prayer. I know you think you may have been intimate, but until you do that, you haven't really experienced what it's really all about, the three of you together in intimacy. This is true and proper worship. What we did here this morning for about 30 minutes is also worship, but you know how much of that it is? About this much. All the rest of the week, all the rest of the time, you can be doing true and proper worship by offering every aspect of your body and to be thankful. Now, I'm a big Star Trek fan, and that's the Borg, and the Borg doesn't reproduce. The Borg just assimilates other... other. You know about this one, (laughs) Chris? You like the Borg? Whenever they find another race who's not part of the Borg, they just start assimilating them, and they say resistance is futile. (laughs) You will be assimilated, and that's kind of what happens. This is the Greek word for conform. I can't pronounce that either, but it means essentially unchangeable, stable, or essential in character to be molded by, and it has an idea of outward. And the pattern of this world, but what's the pattern of this world? Well, some of the patterns are to depend on yourself. Look out for number one. Take advantage of other people. Or become dependent on others. But bottom line is God is not a resource available to you. And he's saying don't be that way, be this way. Be transformed. Now we have a different word, metamorpho. I think I got that one right. They probably messed that up too. It's exactly the same word, if you're familiar with the transfiguration of Christ. It's exactly the same word that's being used here. To be transformed. Now this has to do from the inside. So in the, this Greek word on the left hand side, Julie, do you know how to pronounce that one here? Or have you forgotten most of your Greek as well? No, the one on the left. You took the easy one. Okay, I'll take that. Well, within that word is the word schema. See that? And we come up with our schemes, don't we? Schema refers to outward. Ways that we do without, change our outward appearance. So we look, you know the saying, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and you know, it's probably a duck. Well, a lot of times we do that in the church too, right? We put on our little Christian activity and action and our certain Christian smile that we have for church and all those things. It refers to outward. The problem is outward changes don't produce inward peace. In fact, can pr- produce even more frustration. Now, the word metamorpha we have inward change, and so what he's saying here is to be changed inwardly because inward transformation will produce some kind of outward behavior. And so we really look at the outward behavior more as a barometric indicator that something must have happened within. But it doesn't mean if you just change your behavior, something's going to change on the inside. How many have been through that a couple of times, right? Change your behavior and still feel miserable. <laughs> it's not working. The inward change is what he's talking about. And here's how we do it. Don't you love Paul? He just maps it all out. Here's how you do it. Renewing of your mind. Now, the word renewing is that Greek word I can't pronounce, but it's not a verb. It's a noun. The renewing is not something we actually do, but is done to us by some activity that we participate in. The same word is used in Titus 3.5 when it talks about the renewal of by the Holy Spirit. It's not the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's the re-energizing or the revival of the power of the Holy Spirit in a person. So, the renewing of the mind in Romans 12 is means this. It's the adjustment of the moral and spiritual vision, not behavior, and thinking to that of the mind of God, which is designed to have a transforming effect upon life. Now, some of you probably, Bill, you kind of talked about this before. Our attitude towards things should be the same as God's. That's how we learn he doesn't like microphones. Remember that? (laughs) To have the same attitude, the key is how do I find out how God's feels or thinks about things. Let's talk about how important this is. You guys probably remember Einstein. Well, Einstein said we can't solve our problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them to change the way you think. He also said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And many times we get caught in that trap. If I do it this way, it'll get better, but it's the same thing. So the experts who scan the brains all the time, they say we have approximately 70,000 thoughts per day. And I think for women, that's probably more like 120,000. For men, it's about seven, but let's just stay with this. And about 95% of those are the same ones that we've had before. So we really don't renew our minds very much, do we? Last week, as, I was, uh, as we were driving from, from church to lunch... I asked Beth, what do you think? What did you think of that sermon Justin gave? We always talk about the sermons afterwards, what we learned and so on. And she said, well, what did you think of it? And I said, well, one of the things I like about sermons is when the speaker says something I don't already know. Or they say something from a perspective I not, not, didn't think about it before. And last week, at least for me and Justin's sermon, almost all of it was stuff I'd never known before or heard before in that way. In fact, it it affected me so much, and he'll back me up. I emailed him after church and said, what did you say about, remember that? What was this again? That was so amazing. We don't even know that we don't know that we don't know stuff. I mean, that was like, wow, I never thought about that before. North Koreans don't even know they're in prison. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm in prison sometimes. And so we have these thoughts, but not that many are new. So in a way, my mind was, was renewed last week with a new thought to think about. Now, here's the thing, though. I can just have that wonderful experience, and that was awesome. But if I don't continue to dwell on that or think on that, it goes away. How many of you have had, had everybody here can raise their hand, had an amazing thought, some great idea, perhaps when you were in the shower or something, right? You always have these ideas. You're driving. You're like, that's brilliant. That's a solution to the world's hunger. Or that's, oh, my God. And you're just, whoa, and I'm going to take action on that. But then you never did, right? You never did. And you know it was a great idea, but it just the reason for that is once the brain has that experience of that fantastic thought and the whole thing that goes with it, the brain doesn't need to have that experience again. That's why it doesn't come back to you, even though it was the most brilliant thought you've ever had in your life. So you have to externalize those things where you bump into them again. So my, my mind got renewed last week, and this is what the brain does. The more we set our mind on anything, the big the physical neural pathway becomes. It starts out like this, but if you keep on thinking on it, the brain creates huge neural pathways to make it easier for us to think about it that way. It doesn't know if it's a good thought or a bad thought for us to have. It just follows orders. Whatever we think on or dwell on becomes that way. And so if you stop thinking on it, it will actually go back this way. How many of you remember your high school algebra? But remember, like I know I took it. I know at one point A plus B equals C, but I'm not sure anymore what that even means, but that's what I had to do. The more you think on it, dwell on it, the body just is following orders. It's not the bad guy. I want to really emphasize that. I think the church has painted too much. The body is the bad guy. It just doesn't know God. And so the more we think on something, we can create eight lanes, or in this case, out in Los Angeles, a 20-lane highway in our mind. And so that 20-lane highway can be anything. It could be thinking about food all the time or anxiety or low self-worth or I'm better than other people or I pursue excellence so that others will accept me. Or it might be I'm just going to hold on to that unforgiveness and hold on to bitterness or envy others or laziness or indifference is how I'll take care of my security. Or I just enjoy being a loser. Or I just am filled with fear all the time and that's how I protect myself. And if you study that for a second, see what we have here? That's all false belief. And so in Romans 8, it says those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So what does the spirit desire? Well, the spirit that we have from God gives us truth. And the truth is we're already safe, we're secure, holy, forgiven, loved, justified, free already, empowered, sanctified, reconciled. All those mercies of God that we already looked at. That's what we could set our mind on. That's what the spirit presents to the mind. What the body presents to the mind, worry, anxiety, doubt, selfishness, inadequacy, I'm inferior, I'm guilty, I must perform, I'm worthless. And those are both being presented all the time to the mind. In a way, Christianity is a process of just choosing from moment to moment which one you listen to. Because whichever one you choose, God has designed our body and our brain more specifically to create a pathway to support that so it feels more natural. So those who raised your hand earlier when you said, that just doesn't feel right. If you continue to think on that, your brain's going to develop the neural pathways that it's going to feel perfectly normal to say, I'm completely forgiven. I'm already free. I'm completely and totally loved. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the be-do-have model. I'm going to rewrite this passage. What Paul might be saying is be a person who dies sacrificed to your own ways of feeling safe, secure and accepted. What you should do is to set your mind on what you already have, not what you don't have. You have the mercies of God. Immerse yourself in God's word. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and what you will have, peace peace. Joy and contentment, because you will be able to test and approve what God's will is—His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of us, from time to time, worry if we're in God's will? That's worry. He doesn't. He He did what He did so we don't have to worry. Therefore, become a new creation in Christ. Let's pray.